0: Tonight on Primetime Oddities, we discuss David Lynch's not-so-hit series, On the Air, followed by Lucille Ball's final and ill-fated series, Life with Lucy, on Primetime Oddities, next. The number one television network, with the number one primetime lineup, ABC. ABC. Presents this program in color.
1: Hello, you are listening to the pilot episode of Primetime Oddities. My name is Ethan, and I am joined by the intrepid Kevin. And I'm we gonna... are here to cull the depths of primetime television for the weirdest, wackiest, and oddest
0: offerings. That you may or may not have ever heard of. Or have realized yep. what is connected, or that it is connected to what? Yes,
1: we're yes. going to dig deep.
0: So this is the first episode that we're doing. So um, before we get into what we're going to be covering, even though I mentioned it in the intro. Um, Where did this idea come from, would you say? Um, We seem to have this appreciation for, like, strange TV. Um, And I think it kind of came from that, would you say?
1: I'd say it also came from my admiration for your (laughs) um, near-circus sideshow-like ability to be able to name um the programming for a year and a a network and even perhaps a season if you say okay winter 1982 nbc and you will tell us what was on
0: yeah so um a little if i may if you may if i may if you if you would indulge me a moment so um where that comes from because i know you've known me for quite a while now um I think that all begins with just my appreciation for classic TV. I mean, when I was in college, I used to, you know, I'd be up all hours of the night working on projects and I would just have the TV on and I would just discover all of these what you would what I mean, what I would refer to as classic shows. And when I say that, I mean like shows from, you know, the 70s, the 80s and the, you know, in that sense. So, um and then I just became sort of fascinated by by that and i you know on my early days on the internet i found this website <clears throat> called tvparty.com which kind of kind of did what we're trying to do now it sort of like showed a lot of um there was a side of it that showed a lot of odd tv and like i got to see like a lot of like network promos from the day and everything and so it just kind of all these network promo campaigns and so that sort of just began to f- fascinate me i don't really know why but it did <laughs> And um, it's a classic example of falling down an internet click hole. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. So for me, and
1: I'm a little bit older than you, mm. <clears throat> um, I came of age in the time when you could see a lot of the 70s hour-long shows Yep. Uh, in reruns. Yep. So for me, it was kind of... For kids programming, there was uh, Saturday morning cartoons. Yep, and and for some reason, there were old reruns. Right, um, and so I just saw a lot of TV. I was definitely of the generation that was sort of raised by television. Yep, my parents encouraged television watching, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of my knowledge of the world through watching television shows, and they usually were not of the
0: time period that I was living
1: in. So. It was always I weird. Think, I, think
0: a, I think it's a similar case to me because I think a lot of the things I watched when I grew up, like you know, Nickelodeon, for example, there was a time, and younger listeners, if, if any of you are listening, if you're listening to this in the first place, may not realize that there was a time like in the late 80s, early 90s, where Nickelodeon primarily was reruns of old shows. They didn't have a whole lot of, they had some original pro- programming, but mm. not a ton. And foreign so, shows, too. And what? Foreign shows, foreign like shows a, lot, a lot of ones that like came from that came out of like Canada, Yes, um, Europe, yeah. and there was one called Bell and Sebastian that
1: I liked quite a bit about a boy and his yes, I
0: remember that. Dog
1: And his dog was wanted for some crime, but, so he was on the
0: run. But the I thing remember. is, at that age, I mean, <laughs> you don't. I I mean, I don't know that I'm watching um, reruns. I, I don't care if I, that I'm watching reruns of one. So, a lot of these shows that I grew up watching. I did not know or realize, or I guess you could say, didn't even care that they were like that. They already were older. That these were older shows. I mean, Nickelodeon used to show reruns of Lassie, like the black and white Lassie, Den- and the the the, the black and white Dennis the Menace, right? Like, yes, and I was into that too. There and was Dolby Gillis. I watched Dobie Gillis Nick for some night. reason. I mean, there was just I watched My Three Sons, and plus, I kind of grew up in a family that specifically, like, my uh, grandmother, I think, really. Um, Appreciated a lot of that stuff because you know the show from her era, right? So I mm. think it's, I think that for me plays into it a little bit as well. Um, and plus I make my living as a graphic designer, video editor, and so I was always impressed by how networks like specifically like in the 70s and the 80s and going into the early 90s how they were able to pull off these amazing sort of like you know the like the ABC Sunday night movie intro intros or like you know NBC just the network promotional graphics were just for the time like and i think so a lot of them still hold up even now were just the way they were done and learning about the history of a lot of graphic design and even broadcast design like it really kind of um interested me fascinated me so yeah yeah so
1: were you, were you interested in the font change on tv titles car <clears throat> over the years also i was i was um it definitely was a trans transformation from the 70s the super bubbly and elaborate
0: right right like the um i always make it a point i forget the name of the font but the the um, the Mary Tyler Moore show font is a, is a very, I love that. <laughs> it's a very often used font, but it's very of its time. It's a very sort of like seventies type of um, mm. font. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So a lot of the design, a lot of the designs and all of these like TV show openings too, were like really, um, I always found just very fascinating. So, um, you know, and, and also my love for voiceover too. Cause I, you know, I kind of make a living doing a little bit of that too. And, ABC had the legendary Ernie Anderson as their primetime announcer for quite a long time, and um, you know that also got me interested in wanting to pursue um, doing voiceover as a living. So, um, yeah. So for me, like, I'm I'm classic TV has always been something that I've always appreciated, and I think you know I went through a phase with it because I, I feel like there was a time when. Shows that were on in primetime were not... New shows that were on in primetime were not that great. And so I just took to watching a lot of older shows. And particularly these shows that were just written very well. And they still, I thought, held up really well. So, um Which, again, you take an interest in something, you go on the internet, you research it. I fall down that click hole. And then before I know it, I've inhaled all this information. So... Yeah. yeah. Whereas I picked up a
1: lot of it from watching television at the time, mm. and then also enjoying shows, even when I didn't particularly like the show, but I liked kind of the feel of the show. Right. I remember watching The Mod Squad, for example. Yes. It <laughs> was never particularly good, but I liked the vibe of it. You know, they looked cool, they dressed that cool.
0: The That's a good way of putting uh, it. Shows, I think of that, of shows used to have a vibe about them that um, I think made them entirely watchable even if even if at the end of the day they weren't that great there was still something about it that was just very you know maybe it was just because like you watch the mod squad and you think it has got it's got like this quintessential 60s vibe to it that you just i don't know that <laughs> just perfectly encapsulates what you think the era was
1: yes whether <laughs> it's interesting too because okay so this is where my background comes in because i'm a um history teacher an english language arts teacher And i also teach a class on sort of the cultural history of comic books superheroes so i like to look at it through this cultural history lens somewhat where like we may have got that idea of the late 60s and 70s from the mod squad but it probably wasn't really what it was like but it was some people's vision of what it was like or could be like or should be like yeah so i always tell my students in english class or in the comic book class every piece of art or Fiction was created by people in a time period and it reflects something about how they saw the world at that time. Right. And that's what I always love about TV because a lot of times it's aspirational. It's yes. like, oh, this is what we want. This is how we want to live. This is how people want to live. That's why they tune in. Right. Or sometimes right. it's escapist. It's, well, uh, things are bad right now, but this TV show is, everything is great and lovely. So that's where I want to go to escape reality. So there's yes. always some... Let's us know like something that about the time period.
0: So, and the funny thing about that is kind of building off of that. So, I used to catch reruns of the um, Adam West Batman show, and for the longest time, I only found this out maybe like ten years or so ago. You know, everybody agrees it's a corny, campy show, but it's fun, and I always thought. It's like that just because of the time it's from. Like, oh, you know, it's from the 60s. It's, you know, shows from that era, you could say, are corny and campy anyway. Not realizing that that show was intentionally done that way. Like, they right. knew it was corny and ridiculous, and they just went for it.
1: Yes, yes. But and that, I actually didn't I know found, that. I find very interesting, too, because when I was a kid, that played in the morning before school. Yeah. And my brothers were older than me, and they would be going to school. I think I would be staying home, but we'd be watching it. And to me, that show was serious business. Right, I was worried for Batman. I was, oh my god, What's is he gonna get out of it?
0: But it's interesting how it plays very different. Because I used to think that my way of thinking used to be that I used to, I like, guess myself, like, are they did, when they made the show? Did they think they were actually doing something like really amazing and just like, did they think this was really, you know, what was the dial of quality back then? But um, yeah, and I know I sound like almost like a cynic saying it that way because I don't mean to say that anything that comes out of the '60s is corny and campy, but um, you know, there's that sort of thing where you, people, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, that's old, so it's cheesy and everything like that. Like, it's not yeah. as relevant as it is now, but yeah. Well, that's also why
1: is interesting because TV, there was, uh, there were the gatekeepers that were the networks. Right. They would only let certain things get on, so you, you know, at a point you in the 50s, you didn't really get a reflection of what American society was like from television like you right. do now. Right. The 60s were a little bit better with like Laugh-In, I'm thinking of, and yeah, other shows, but um,
0: they yeah. ignored the world outside. Yeah, America. it's like yeah. it's only what
1: they would allow to be on. So in the sixties, they didn't let anything too serious yeah. or whatnot get on. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I think we can dive right
0: in. Yes. So so the idea is that we choose we we find the oddest, most obscure show that we can think of, or well, not that we can think of, but like we just find something that we find very odd and absurd and just interesting whether it's like you know a less known show or you know a show that you never heard of or not a show that you don't realize was connected to another show anything of the sort there's no real like criteria that we follow um except
1: there's probably not going to be one of the you know we're probably not going to do cheers or mash or right Mad Night or those, those may games. those may oh. come up in conversation
0: but um yes. yeah um so We, yeah, we, we think about some, we, we find these shows that we think are very obscure and very, you know, um, that we just are fascinated by their obscurity and we sort of bring it to this table as it was and, um, discuss it. So, um, and we watch whatever is available. Like if there's a, you know, obviously if it's available on YouTube to watch, then that's going to help. Um, and hopefully everything Mm -hmm. that we try to, um, do is available on YouTube to watch. And um, But we both watch each an episode of our respective shows, but one of us kind of leads off the 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 topic of that show, because they may be more well-informed about it than the other person might be.
1: Yes, so, and I think it's going to be interesting because like we said in the intro, we both have different perspectives of how we look at the shows, kind of, yeah. and we, as some of the listeners will know, we do a Star Trek, a couple of Star Trek podcasts together. Yeah. And, you know, we, we we enjoy a lot of those same things, but I think our senses of humor are kind of different. Right. So I think it'll be interesting to see um, right. our different takes on the different shows.
0: Well, and I think also that um, in in discussing this, I mean, we, when we, we talked about doing a podcast like this for a long time. And um, yeah. even if it's something that's a, like even if it's, so that it's like a show that you do that I may not be t- entirely familiar with, I know that I can at least contribute by saying, to your point you were saying earlier, like, oh, well, here's what else was on the network at the time, or here was the state of the network at the time.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. so fact, I just we want to hear each other's opinion on what we watched.
0: Yes. Yes. So um, the shows that we have chosen, so you chose, you're, you're a David Lynch fan. You chose a show that he did, the show that he did right after Twin Peaks called um, On the Air. Indeed. And then the show I chose was, uh, as I said in the intro, Lucille Ball's ill-fated final sitcom, Life with Lucy. Um, so, I guess we can begin with On the um, yeah. On the right. Yeah. So, I will start off by saying that I... I oh, jeez. <laughs> The Twin Peaks thing, right? I know, I know. And you, so, you're a big David Lynch fan. I will start off by saying I wouldn't call myself the biggest David Lynch fan, but I'm also not totally familiar with David Lynch. I mean, I. <laughs> Twin Peaks wasn't really my thing. The only thing of his I really saw was um, Eraserhead, which um, I enjoyed. I remember when I watched it, you said that's a very interesting. First thing to watch with as an introduction to David Lynch, and I was like, "Well, it's got nothing to do with David Lynch. I just want to see it." Yes. So for me, it
1: started when I was very, very young. My family had HBO very early. Yep. And um, I watched the Elephant Man. Yep. It's a very little kid, and I was yep. both terrified by it, but also loved it.
0: That's that the, was my. Favorite. That's also in black and white, isn't
1: it? It is, yeah. and it's um yeah produced by. Mel Brooks, weirdly.
0: That's right. I did know that. That's right.
1: And he personally hired David Lynch to be the director. Because he saw Racerhead. All right. Um, so on the air, that's a good lead-in because, <clears throat> take us back to 1990. So in 1990, hmm. art house author David Lynch created a television phenomenon that arguably predicted the current era of prestige television. It is now accepted that television is where serious directors can bring their visions to life in smart and unique programs, while Hollywood is stuck in a cycle of tending to old franchises and chasing new ones. Surprisingly, David Lynch and co-creator Mark Frost took over pop culture for a few months as the country followed all the surreal twists of Twin Peaks to find out who killed Laura Palmer. Mm. Unfortunately, once the main mystery was solved, the country and David Lynch fell out of love with Twin Peaks. And in the second season, the ratings went into the toilet. After its premiere in April 1990, it was canceled by June of 1991. Uh, but before that happened, ABC wanted more Lynch Frost magic and greenlit a sitcom from the pair. The premise is seemingly simple compared to Twin Peaks. It centers on the production of The Lester Guy Show, a fictional television show from 1957, starring a washed-up Hollywood-leading man. The show airs on Zoblotnik Broadcasting Corp., or ZBC, and it follows the bizarre cast and crew as they attempt to make a fairly middle-of-the-road variety show. But they are too odd and inept to pull that off, and as their failures compound on each other, they accidentally create a surrealist television hit. One can't help but see some degree of media critique or even autobiography of David Lynch in his presence. Um, unfortunately, yeah. ABC found the show to be too bizarre for a prime time slot or adequate promotion. Despite solid test screenings and positive feedback from test viewers, um, of the eight episodes shot, only three were aired, and they were aired on Saturday nights in the summer of 1992, which is Saturday nights in the summer is, as you could probably say, uh, not a good time slot. It's um, the time David Lynch said, when I, I'll have to say it like he would say it. When I love the show, and people seem to love the show. What's wrong when they're not given a primo spot? So, he was, um... So, and it wasn't given a chance, so the show was quickly forgotten, even as Twin Peaks' influence and legacy grew over the years, and it became this cult classic, On the Air was
0: just relegated to... So it sounds to me like On the Air became this, was, ended up being this show that was... sort of, not just misunderstood, but maybe on the air wait was like way before it's time
1: that's sort of what i think yeah.
0: maybe if if there were ever was a time for it well I, because when i watched it i mean i i think three episodes were available on youtube i watched i just watched the first one um mm-hmm. and the sense that i got like I, there were so many things about it that i um noticed i mean the the first thing was the building that stands for their headquarters is actually 30 rockefeller plaza which is nbc's headquarters um but the thing that struck me most about it was that did you ever see the movie network yes i actually have it kind of reminded me of that movie it almost felt like this was network the tv series huh like
1: the network has a very political stance of uh um, well, what is it like
0: mad as hell i'm not going to take it anymore but it was but it wasn't the but it was more about the whole idea of this show becomes this absurd thing and then the oh, audience wow. and then the audience and you know the network is thinking like okay you know the show is finished you know whatever and it turns out the audience yeah. loves it and so they begin to kind of you know play toward that and Begin to center the entire show around this guy, Howard Beale, around this guy's like insanity and his and what a loose cannon he's become. And so they they just build this whole news show around him now to just as a platform to do that. And
1: right, so what the network thinks is going to be a disaster, right, or, or complete chaos
0: and just a total mess up, right, people have to respond well to. But there are also these things like, you know, as I said, I saw Eraserhead. I enjoyed it and that's one of those movies that I think everybody sort of has their own interpretation of what what it is it's a, it's one of the, it's an art film right mm-hmm. now having seen Eraserhead I go in to see uh on the air and I think to myself you know is this going to be too David Lynch for me even though like granted I've only seen Eraserhead so I, I don't really know what that means and there were, the thing is, there were all of these little touches that I just found really good, but it didn't, it wasn't, it, I did not think it was too out there. Eraserhead was out there. This was not, yeah. like, you know, when, the, when things are going wrong and the guy picks up the phone and then the flames are coming out of the phone, like, you know, like, okay, that's somebody on the phone mad as hell, right? Like, yeah, little yeah, things right. like that, right? Yeah, so,
1: yes, I think that it's almost like you take the weirdness of David Lynch's more weird side and mm. put it into a sitcom format so it has some structure to it. Right. And, but I do think that it starts off, it just shows how absurdist and surrealist that it's going to be. Right. Because I think within the first 10 minutes, you have this very quick back and forth where you have, uh, somebody drags a rubber raft through the screen. Somebody says rubber raft. And then these people that are dressed like native people drag a rubber raft through. Yeah. And we have the, the seemingly German director saying, nine. And then there's a stagehand putting things up on a ladder and he says how many how many he says nine and then these two seemingly conjoined twins come by and say hurry up hurry up (laughs) it's just this sequence of bizarre things you know it is it it, 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 it,
0: it sort of reminded me of the it was a little bit more absurdist but it was very similar to like the police squad humor you were just in this bizarre world, but there was nobody there to really kind of be, to really kind of point out how bizarre this all is. They just all accepted that this is the way the world. They just take it all seriously.
1: And that's kind of what I loved about
0: it. Yeah. And, and
1: so normally in, the, in a show like this, we might have a character who is the outsider mm. that's like supposed to be, to stand in for the audience. Yes going to be water like water. what is happening here but right. instead we get this character Ruth uh, Trustworthy who is the one who um, essentially she seems to just everyone is completely odd and bizarre especially the director played by uh, the actor who played Squiggy David Lander thank you David Lander uh, you know, from a, Laverne a and Shirley legend of, of situational <laughs> comedy yes um, but this character, Ruth's trustworthy. He talks in this ridiculously, sometimes sort of German accent. Mm. And she her job really is to make the entire place work by translating what all these oddballs are saying and explaining them to people so that they understand what they actually mean. she's a really weird character, but now it's she, really fun.
0: Now, she, I'm assuming she becomes the focal point of the show in sort of later episodes, right? Like Is she the main character of the show, yeah. or is it more it's, of an ensemble? It's Betty. It's Betty.
1: Betty becomes the star that people want to see. Right. And so it sort of becomes this jealousy situation where um, um, Lester Guy um, gets jealous that Betty is getting all the attention. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah. so she sort of, uh, Ruth Trustworthy, who I think is probably my favorite character, just exists to do what she does, um, which is tr- explain to everyone what every what other maniac is actually trying
0: to say i think it's one of these shows that and again this is i'm just taking this from the pilot um that i saw but i feel like it's one of these shows that just as i mentioned earlier like in its time way ahead of its time nobody really got it but like i'm watching it now and already i'm like oh yeah i get this like this is i could totally see this being on being on the air now being doing it because like because you had because since then, you had other shows that I feel like kind of didn't go to that level, but like you know, as I mentioned, network although that came up before. But then you had a, then you had. Remember Sports Night? Remember that show, Sports Night? Oh, I do by the great Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, like all about sort of like the behind the scenes of like running a TV show. Uh, yeah, Thirty Rock, sort of, like of course. Thirty Rock, and you know, but I think the difference here is that you know this sort of goes into a time that's not really explored when television was live and sort of like the all the absurdness that happens, all the absurdity that happens behind the scenes as you're getting ready yeah. to go live.
1: Well, Although um, 30 yeah, Rock also round. is about a Saturday Night Live type show. So yeah. They, they are.
0: But the thing that I really love
1: is that when we we see this show, we we sort of... It's almost as if we had two halves of the show. First we were seeing them try to make the show, which would have been a pretty boring 50s variety right. show. Right. And we even get to see a whole scene play out perfectly. Right. Where a woman is ironing, and her husband calls to set her up so he can catch her with her lover. Yeah. And he catches her, and the scene goes off perfectly, but it's kind of boring. Right. And then later we get to see the same scene played again, but when everything starts to go wrong... Yes. ...it becomes hilarious.
0: Right. Um, and it's like, that's what the show becomes.
1: Yes, one little yeah. thing happens, and then creates this snowball of more and more strange things happening. hmm and that's why it's so good. To the point that even the camera falls over, and so this picture is sideways. And every once in a while, we cut to the audience watching, and they're either craning their heads to the side, or they're actually picking up their TV to turn it sideways so right. they can see the show in the way that it's meant to be seen.
0: Right. Yeah, I uh, I, I I loved the um, and there was like that when it was sort of cutting to different audience audience members watching the show. Then you had that that one guy laying on the couch and. Was it a horse, I think, that was leaning over on the couch or something like that? I no, was yeah. like, that's random, but okay.
1: <laughs> yes, it was very surrealist and yeah. very bizarre. Very bizarre. So um, but Another thing is, with all the surrealness, for instance, there's this whole long scene at the beginning that almost lost me. I had to try to watch the show a few times. I had tried to watch it before this podcast and kind of got bored. But um, the director is talking to Betty, the seemingly star. She's kind of like a a dumb blonde archetype character. And um, he's trying to get her to talk about her ironing scene, but he can't understand him. So he keeps saying, like, ironing. And it's Ruth explaining to her what he means and her thinking that the director wants her mother to come there and iron. And it's just so silly. And it seems like this is just bizarre. But then later... It comes back. It's almost as if every little bizarre thing that happens yep. is all part of the um, the elaborate mess-up setup where all these events trigger on one another. So as silly as it all is and bizarre as it all is, almost every piece comes back later to be part of the cascade of failures and mistakes.
0: So what do you think it was that... I mean, do you think it was like the show just didn't work? Do you think it had to do more with the time that it was on, or like do you think that it was just sort of like fucked over by the network and not really given a chance? Like, you know, I think there, were, I think probably people didn't know
1: what to make of it in yeah, the network, right? So, it's nineteen ninety two. You can answer this better than I can, but yeah. had was it abnormal to not have a laugh track at that point?
0: I mean, nineteen ninety two. I mean, you had shows on the like so ABC, right? So you had. you had the wonder years and Doogie hauser so like they didn't have laughter more right drama true true um i don't i have i think it was becoming normal but i feel like it was more that was something that was more you would find more like on the cable networks right so you know uh a show i love um is the larry sanders show on hbo um, and that mm-hmm. was on at that time. And that's a show about a late night host. I mean, you know, that's a comedy. That didn't have a laugh track. But I think it was rare that you found that on network television. I mean, you still, some had it. I mean, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head at that time. But, yeah, I mean, you would you would see it on occasion. not Not to the degree that you see it now.
1: Yeah. So the show that this most reminds me of, and given the time period especially, would be The Simpsons. Yep. Because you have no laugh track. You try to, cr- the jokes seem to be crammed in there, yeah. you know? Like, there's always a joke happening, quick, 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 and you don't stop to luxuriate in the joke, mm.
0: which Laugh Tracks seem to always do. Because um, Laugh Tracks sort of, they're sort of there to, like, almost tell you when to laugh, like, oh, this is funny.
1: Yes, but and it, I bet if you took a sitcom, like the one we're going to talk about later, yeah. and you cut out all the audience reaction, the mm-hmm. show would probably lose, what, eight minutes? Five minutes.
0: Oh, yes, probably.
1: Yeah. So it, it's yeah. It's. I think and another thing I think is interesting is that this is a show without a laugh track, but it's about a show that had a laugh track. <laughs> yeah. Because they used a laugh track at one point. Um.
0: So uh, on the show within the show. Really quick. On that note, so I mentioned the Larry Sanders Show starring um, Gary Shandling, right? Have you ever seen? the show that he had before that called, it's Gary Shanley show. Um, I I believe it was, I believe it was also on HBO. I think it was in the early, in like the mid eighties. Right. So what he would do is I, I don't remember what the, the plot of the show was, but they made it seem like a sitcom. Right. Mm -hmm. And the audience would like, there would be an audience laughing at him, but he would almost like talk to the audience and like, have them, he would sort of use them and address the audience. Address like the absurdity of the use of the laugh track, which I thought was great.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, so yeah, it's that kind of thing. If you're using the laugh
0: track to
1: comment on laugh tracks.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, you should check that out. It's really, it's actually really funny. I will. I will. Um, another thing very,
1: very, I'm curious to hear from you. Actually, what are some of the parts that you found were most
0: bizarre? I think a lot of the... So I mentioned him picking up the phone and the flames shooting out of there. Um, it almost had this very sort of like... I wouldn't say bizarre. But it had this like... Almost cartoon Looney Tunes quality about it that I liked. I mean, again, when he picks up the phone and the flames shoot out, like that's something that you would see on a Looney Tunes cartoon, right? Like something oh. like that. Or like when the show finally goes on the air, like it cuts to this... Um, you know, interesting sort of special effect shot of like you know the building sticking out of the sticking out of earth and just like, oh yes, you know and it it's seems that like the building is
1: hundreds of miles, Yes, hot.
0: like things things like that i I think it's so it was it was things like that that I don't think they wouldn't take away if you didn't have them, but at the same time they but just having them sort of accentuates just how bizarre the world that they're in. It's almost like it's almost like the the way that they put that show together that's like what if you are in charge of producing a show that's almost like what it that's almost like how you imagine it being like that's kind of what it feels like it's like this all of this insane shit going on oh you know somebody's screaming at me this flame is coming out of the phone like it's like it's all this sort of chaos around you and i think it's perfectly encapsulated by the by the by the world around them if that makes sense i don't know if i'm Properly communicate. Yeah, but then but you like, have
1: the network executive comes, who's played um, by an actor who, who is also in Twin Peaks, as many other people are actually. And the yeah. character is Buddy Budwaller. I mean, um, he is. has a club, so he comes in and is just telling them, like, this has to go perfect. The network needs it to go perfect, and he has a club. Yes. Going- so
0: it's almost like it's taking all of these sort of cliches and archetypes, and it's, mm-hmm. and again, like, it's giving, this, it's giving it a sort of like almost cartoon spin to it yeah right but
1: here's an interesting thing so with that character buddy budwaller he makes a comment about betty because people talk about betty and they call her a dim bulb a couple of times Mm. and then i feel like buddy budwaller delivers what is what would have been in any other sitcom like a big line yeah would have had the big laugh but he she does something dumb and he says she's no dim bulb she's a blown out fuse and it's just a little throwaway line for this show, yeah. but I feel like if it were in most of the like heavy on the laugh track, that would have been a you know uproarious applause and, and laughter moment to just luxuriate. But here it was just completely tossed off.
0: It kind like, of reminds me of, um, you know, it's not a complete parallel, but it kind of reminds me of the that 1986 movie um, Little Shop of Horrors, like the world that it's set in, like. There's something very surreal. It does, Little Shop of Horrors doesn't feel cuz it's based off a of stage play, right? But the movie Little Shop of Horrors like it doesn't you don't feel like you're on a street in like I think it takes place to in Brooklyn or somewhere in New York, but like it doesn't feel it doesn't have a real world feel about it. It has a very sort of like stagey kind of like um yeah, do you know what I mean? Like artful kind of way about it. Yeah, and I see what you mean. Yeah, this is also a very stylized 1957. Thank you. That's what I. Sh- that's what I'm looking for. Stylized. Yeah. Yeah. It's as if
1: every one is an exaggerated version of 1957. From yes. Ruth with her perfect, um, like yes. bob haircut, right? To um, you know, like a like, dancer.
0: It's almost like it's almost like Tim Burton esque. Yeah, like, remember, I mean, like, that, yeah, remember it, like it um, is... you know, like remember like uh, the we... world. Remember the world he establishes, like in Edward Scissorhands. Yes, like it's. It seems like a parody. Like I don't even know what Edward Scissorhands is necessarily paralleling. It's like parodying suburbia in a lot of ways, but like there's something at right, 1950s. Yeah. There's some, but there's something <laughs> like bizarre. Even though like it's perfectly you know, like the neighborhood is like perfectly trimmed, everything is the same color and or different, you know. But there's still something off about it. It just there's something very <laughs> weird about it yeah yeah
1: now here's an interesting thing i think they do because they have the quote-unquote dumb blonde character yep but in one way she's sort of the most brilliant one yep because first off when the, when the show starts to fall apart and she has oh i have my singing box and this little music box she just sings this very pleasant little song that's very you know it's very light but it's also very pleasant and very endearing yeah um but when the buddy budwaller characters evil executive that he is. At one point, the... Oh, here's another one of the most surreal moments, by the way, also. You have the sound effect uh, operator. Yep. And At yep. one point, it just cuts to him on a steady cam shot with an arrow pointing to him. Yep.
0: And it says... Yes, uh, it gives, like, that voice, the commentary?
1: Yes, it yeah. says, uh, Bogie Watts is not blind. He suffers from Bozeman simplex. He sees 25... 0. 0.62 times as much as we do. And then it shows like what the scene would look like from his eyes. Yes. And it's just the studio, but superimposed <laughs> on it are these sort of pulsating a doll, a Santa, yes. a dog a plushie, and then the actor dressed as natives from the show, and they're just kind of pulsating like, you know, a psychedelic trip or something. Yeah. And it just yeah. does that. And then it cuts back to the scene, and there's no connective tissue between them, seemingly. Right. But then later, right. we see it. That sort of comes back up. Right. I think that might be one of the things. There's, there's never like a lead in or a setup to a lot of these things. It's just why bother? Just cut into something weird and then cut back to what was happening before. I'd be interested. Uh, I'd be interested but, to know. Buck waller So that character turns on too many of the sound effects. Yeah. And executive is very angry, and he yells that can never happen. Yeah. And then weirdly, right after he says it, another character for no reason says, I'll have coffee with milk. (laughs) But then Betty, the supposedly dumb blonde character, Hmm. um, has this puzzled look on her face, and she says, um, says, uh, okay, so the blonde character has a puzzled look on her face, and she says, how can it not happen when it just happened? So everyone else Is like in that they know like i'm supposed to be afraid of this guy right so i'm accepting whatever he says but she looks at it and just sees like the logic of it no this is not logical and i'm just going to ask it and then of course ruth has to come back in and then translate what's actually going on i'd be really curious one of my favorite scenes because then ruth comes in and says mr budwaller acknowledges that it did happen however he wishes that it would not happen in the future and wants to make that apparent. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I find that back and forth of people not understanding things and then Ruth coming in and explaining them in a very precise way. I think it's great. It doesn't make sense that that would be good television, but it is.
0: I'd be very curious to know like how this show was pitched to the network. Because I think in a lot, of, a lot of those cases, when you're pitching a show to a network you have to kind of point to a show and say another show and say, well, it's a little bit like this one, or it's a little bit like that one to sort of give them an idea of what you're going for. But there was nothing else on the air at the time like this. And so like, you know, how does David Lynch even get this, you know, get this on the air for the first, you know, in the first place? Well, I think he got it by just by huge. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I guess that the only thing comparable at the time that I can compare it to is The Simpsons. Well, I mean, which was animated, of course, that makes it different and easier. But the, some of those things, like cutting to the guy watching the show with his horse, yeah, that was very much something that obviously would be cheaper for an animated show to do because all they'd have to do right. is draw it, right? But also just a very that cutting, right. quick cuts, and this was three seasons into The Simpsons, mm-hmm. where they were sort of in there getting to their most odd, and kind of absurdist comedy um, point.
0: Well, And also when you consider, so, what else was on the air at the time? So, I mean, ABC specifically, you have um, all of these shows, all of these 1980s staples, you know, Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, Perfect Strangers, MacGyver, they all come to an end in the spring of 92. And so now, so ABC is really kind of you know pushing forward into all the shows from that we all know from that became 90s staples right so now you have like shows like you know uh Roseanne's on the air and who's the boss is on or not who's the boss um Roseanne Full House and Family Matters and Step by Step like all of these I think ABC was in this sort of like mode of like reinventing and sort of revitalizing itself and you know embracing the new decade and could you imagine who's the boss leading into this show (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, so, for many, many years, I mean, so every network used to have their own night of the week that they were the most watched network. Every every network had their own, had a specifically, like, you know, CBS always historically had Monday nights, and ABC had Tuesday nights, and NBC then had Thursday nights for a long time, and then even some, and for a while, even Saturday nights. So, like, you know, imagine at the time, like, if this had come on, like, a season earlier, or two seasons earlier, right? And they threw it on Tuesday nights on ABC. I mean, it's behind. You have it behind like Who's the Boss, and I think even Growing Pains and The Wonder Years. Like, and it just would not have really truly fit that. No. Sort of. I don't know where it could have worked it.
1: except like the time slot that I remember always being the one that was safe to try out odd things was um, Fox, and I think the late '90s. They would have The Simpsons, and then they had at eight. Then from eight thirty to nine, they would put in different shows, and they had the X Files on at nine. Right. And eight, at eight thirty to nine, between The Simpsons and the X Files, it seemed like they could try anything. That's where rest of Development
0: started. Yep. I uh, mean, maybe and, even Family Guy. I think, and, and NBC did the same thing. I believe on Thursdays, like, uh, you know, notor- historically, NBC had you know Thursdays, you know, in the mid '80s with. Cosby in this order Cosby family ties cheers and night court and looking over the various years like between like 1985 and 19, 1984 and like 1988 like mid-season or like even summer they would like rotate some of those shows out and the one that got the most rotation out of there was night court at 9 30 mm. they would try new and you know and eventually they put in a show at uh, 9 30 and move night court to a different night but um, that always seemed to be like the most sort of, like, sus- like vulnerable time slot to try in a new to try a new show. Yeah, it's oh, like right. you, yeah, so you bring like in you bring in this new show, you let it establish itself, and then for like a season, then you move it out of there and put it on another night, hoping it's yeah. gonna I mean,
1: you put it between your two hit shows. Exactly.
0: Hit, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Whereas you know, a show like this that clearly ABC had
1: no interest in continuing, you put it on Saturday night in June.
0: Right, and so, and my guess with that, my guess that? with that, my and my guess with that, and I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if it's true because I don't think I saw it anymore when I was researching it. You know, networks used to put on like burned off or like unsold shows, like they would just throw them on in the summertime. Um, hmm. I mean, that's how Seinfeld began. Seinfeld began as a, it was the, the original network promo calls it and called it a prime t- called it a sitcom special. <laughs> And it was on, like, I think it was in, like, early July of 1989 is when that show was put on, just the first episode. And yeah,
1: special it implies that it's going to be shown exactly one time.
0: Exactly one. So, like, it's just as burned-off... It's just a show that didn't didn't sell, and NBC is just, you know, putting it on the air because why the hell not? And, you know, obviously we know what became of that show. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, it's interesting that watching this show... I swear, so I don't... This might be a weird thing to say for this, but I don't really watch many modern sitcoms.
0: The uh, only one I I watch now is Kirby Your Enthusiasm. I try to.
1: And, um, you know, like, I I think I laugh more at this and more hard at this than I have at any any sitcom I've seen recently that I, you know, newer sitcoms.
0: I think it's a good example of, like, a show that's... Not appreciated in its time, and then I mean, not 20- appreciated years. in this time either. <laughs> so, well, okay. Let me kind of change my gear then. So, did, I mean, so did you enjoy it? Do you like it? Do you think it's good? I, like, I'm, what's your I I'm of- gonna watch the rest. I have never watched the rest, but I will. Yeah, you want to you want to see more? Basically, is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I want to see where they go with this crazy thing that they have.
0: So your final thoughts... um, My
1: final thoughts is that this show is a a watch because you're actually going to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, we might recommend other shows, like, watch this because it's so bad it's good. Yeah. Or watch this because it's amazing to think that anyone thought this was a good thing to put on television. Mm. But this one, I think, watch it because it's legitimately entertaining. Well, and
0: and I'm not a David Lynch connoisseur at all. Um, I've only seen... As I said, I've only seen um, Erase Ahead. I don't really have an interest in Twin Peaks, I've got to say. I mean, I know that... I think you I tried to get me to watch it. You're not the only one who's trying to get me to watch it. You can um, watch at least Blue Velvet, the film Blue Velvet. Um, so, but having said that, though, I did enjoy this one. Because I just... It reminded me of other things that I liked. Mm. And um, so I... I'm curious if the show were made today, would it... Succeed
1: Yeah I mean he did Bring back um, Twin Peaks Two years ago Maybe it's time
0: for Well you know it is Like I think To be on like HBO You know
1: Well that's the thing Like
0: I was gonna say earlier Like I think that the show If they had Instead of getting it On ABC Like I think If it had say Been on HBO Then It seems like It almost seems like It'd be more fitting For HBO Because then they could Sort of almost do Whatever they wanted With it Right um, yeah. but I mean again, I enjoyed it i I, I did enjoy it, and I, I I'm curious to see uh to see more of it. I mean, I know yeah. there isn't that much of it, but yeah, there's um, definitely a watch for me but I, you, I I have to believe it's one of those shows that was just not given a fair shake by, the, by its by its network because they just didn't know what to make of it
1: yes, yes
0: so moving Thank on you. to our next show, um the infamous Life with Lucy. Lucille Ball's final foray into the sitcom genre. Um, this show fascinates the hell out of me. Because, um, you know, when you think of Lucy and you think of, oh, you know, crazy Lucy Ricardo and I Love Lucy. And who doesn't love I Love Lucy, right? But it was just, this was the end of, of, the, uh, of, of I mean, really, her career in a lot of ways. And the idea behind this show was that, um, you know, to kind of paint a picture of what the landscape was at the time. So, this is 1985-86, I think. Um, NBC is the dominant network, is the dominant number one. um, Because they've got, again, The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court, The Golden Girls, 227... Amen, St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, like all of these, Matlock, all of these big hits, and they are so far in first place, right? So naturally, every network is trying to strategize a way to compete with them and potentially copy the strategies that they've put into place. And um, Life with Lucy is definitely one of those examples. Um, and I think you had a couple of things going going on here. I think, you know, using an established comedian like Bill Cosby, um, you get Lucille Ball. But you also, but but at this time, Lucille Ball is much older. And so, you know, she's in her 70s at this point. And NBC is having great success with the Golden Girls, right? And I think had Lucy come back and done a show similar to the Golden Girls, where she was older and she wasn't the crazy, zany Lucy that we've all known over all the years, that maybe it could have had a chance of succeeding. You know, get a good set of writers and everything like that. I mean, I know this is all easier said than done, obviously, but but instead she opts to kind of go back to the format that brought her the most success, which is sort of the slapstick i love lucy format and on top of that she even brings the same writers and the same like even the same crew so they're all like her age you've got this show being written by people in their 60s and 70s and i think i read one story where one of the camera guys was the sound guy the sound guy was like practically deaf if that if you can believe that (laughs) You know, so it was it was the idea that like these it was these people who were working on the show with her who had been with her since I love Lucy. I mean, I can't even imagine how many she potentially brought out of retirement. So you had this show that with her trying to do all the same sort of crazy, funny stunts that she did, you know, 35 years earlier on I I love Lucy. Only now she's in her 70s instead of instead of it being funny as a viewer. I think you're just more worried about her potentially falling and getting hurt. So um and it lasted uh 8 weeks on ABC. Um it was on it was the anchor of their Saturday night, of their Saturday night lineup. So unlike the Cosby show which anchored the entire Thursday night lineup and you know Cosby was the number one show on TV and it every show that came after it that night benefited from it being the number one show on TV. Lucy had the opposite effect and ended up poisoning the entire Saturday night lineup. So, Lucy's on at 8 o'clock, and then you have a new show after that called The Ellen Burstyn Show, um, which I've seen the which I, huh? Your your favorite oddity. So, I've seen the pilot, and I've seen various clips. It's actually not a bad show. It's actually pretty funny. I think the problem was it was just stuck behind Life with Lucy, right? Yeah. Um but I think had the Ellen Burstyn show succeeded, it probably would have just ended up being like this, you know, forgettable, potentially nondescript 1980s sitcom. But um, I thought, you know, it was, had some pretty good jokes in there. I thought it was pretty funny for a sitcom of its day. Then you had an hour-long drama after that called Heart of the City, um, starring a very young Christina Applegate, by the way. Um, the cancellation of that show was what made her available to do Married with Children that next spring. Then you had another drama after that called uh, Spencer for Hire, Um, a fairly well-known drama. Um, And not only was Lucy, like, not ranking high in the ratings, I mean, it was also in direct competition with NBC's Saturday Night Lineup, which consisted of, you know, The Facts of Life, 227, Amen, The Golden Girls. So it kind of had everything going against it. At this point, and I don't think it had any chance of succeeding. So I'm curious to hear your take because you texted me after you watched it and you said this show was a disaster.
1: Yeah. So, I mean my take. I want take the
0: outsider look. take.
1: Okay. First off, here's how I describe the premise.
0: Yeah. You have
1: a married couple, Ted and Margot. And they have Margot's mom move okay. in. Yep. Um. But Mom, Barbara's mom's name is Lucille, it's Lucille Ball. Yep. But then Lucille co-owns a hardware store with Ted's dad, and she, so she starts to work there. The dad doesn't like it, so then the dad moves in with the family out of spite because he hates the woman so much.
0: The dad, by the way, is Gail Gordon, Lucy's uh, um, well-known sitcom partner after I Love Lucy, who started in the, Lucy's previous two sitcoms with her. Yeah. yeah. Here's who what I brought, was, by the way who was brought out of retirement for this? Yeah.
1: And man, like he alien. just overacts every every like time Lucy does something silly, he looks like he's having a heart attack or a stroke. <laughs> he just stops, his face turns red, and he just makes a face and kind of holds it. Yeah. His acting style. Yeah. Now, this show, here's what I have to say about the show. And I figured out what it was and I had a hunch and then I looked it up and I was right. The problem <laughs> is Lucille Ball's pride. That's what ruined this show. Yep. Because if you watch Golden Girls, yep. they're not out there being like, you know, more energetic than the young people around. They're not out there being super cool, do it all badasses. They talk about the fact that they're old, and that kind of sucks being old and whatnot. They right. make jokes about it. Whereas for some reason, Lucy was not able to admit that. And when I found out later that she did the show in one condition, that she had complete creative control, yes. then it made perfect sense because it just puts in all these little things. They're moving into the house, and she's moving more boxes than the husband. He gets tired, and she doesn't. Yep. She's exercising up the stairs, talking about how the, all the stair walking has got a firm upper thighs. She, there's this cringy, cringy scene where she's wearing a tracksuit and headphones and bopping around. Yep. And she's listening to a band called Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs, she says. She's constantly making health drinks like tofu and yogurt all right. and all that. The, name, uh, the thing
0: is, the name of that band, it's like, that's what somebody that age would think would yes. be the name of a, of a band. You know, of like a, a rock band or something like that at that time. Like yeah. That's what they think, you know. I wish I
1: needed a name for a band right now because they would call it Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs. Um, I mean, so I think yeah. that's a big problem is that, um, she was like too, too proud to change up what she did. She was like, I'm Lucille Ball and I'm going to do my thing. Right. People I want to be up. the,
0: I want to be the Lucy that everybody knows and loves and,
1: yes. you know, And yeah. I feel like the whole vibe of the show was that they wanted, they expected people were going to love them just because they showed up. Yes. You know, it was almost like, I'm Lucille Ball.
0: Right, so it's like Lucille Ball, instant hit, don't even need to you know the show they did not test the show with audiences or anything like that. They just it was like an instant, I think like thirteen episode commitment or something like that, and they only aired eight of them.
1: And the crazy part too is according to Wikipedia, anyway, she turned down having the writing staff from MASH do the show with her. Yeah, which I which is just bring back all of her old writers and whatnot.
0: Right. So it was And the thing is, everything you're describing that, you know, Lucy wearing a tracksuit and jamming to music and everything like that, like, that would have been funny if it was in, I mean, it may have been funny if it was in I Love Lucy. Yeah. Right? Like, the thing, the the, the gags in that show would have been funnier if they played on one of her earlier shows. Because they're just, they're these, again, it's like, it's this... I mean, it looks like a, a sitcom from the '80s. It's shot like a show from the '80s, but it has this sort of 1950s, '60s way about it in terms of the way the jokes are written, the way they're delivered, the way um, so you know deliver. they're being performed, and
1: yeah, because it's very much do the punchline, hold, right, let the uproarious applause and laughter die down for thirty seconds or something, right. Um, one of the other things I found really sad about it is that on the second episode they bring in John Ritter. Three's Company fame. He plays himself. Right. And and he's fresh off of Three's Company at this point. Yes. I never realized this before, but John Ritter was the male Lucille Ball of the seventies. He did all that physical humor Mm -hmm. and
0: all that wacky crazy stuff. There was actually (laughs) Lucille Ball actually hosted a Three's Company special in like nineteen eighty one, yeah. So, but
1: seeing him do the physical humor, and he was at, you know, close to his prime, I, I liked the second episode just because of him, right? But seeing him do it and right next to a seventy-year-old Lucille
0: Ball, but what made, made her look even more past but, her. But here's the thing, though: like, even though that episode may be better than what you saw before, it's still that Lucy trope where that. She sees somebody famous. Oh right! She does something, gets herself into trouble with them, hurts them, or something. And like you know, Lucy gets involved with this famous person, and then it's it's just it's nothing but disaster. You know, it, it's all it's nothing but disaster after disaster after disaster. I mean, yeah. it all. I mean, it goes back to that classic "I Love Lucy" episode with John Wayne's footprints, right? Like, and just her getting wrapped up. And mucking up some kind of celebrity encounter every single time, and... right? And this time it just happened to me that they had John Ritter.
1: who's hilarious, right? Right. Um, also, a lot of the jokes that they went to that were so. This is aside from the Lucy parts. They were just so lazy and stale. Yeah. They were such, um, you know, innovative comedy as husband doesn't like mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> Health
0: food is super gross, isn't it? Well, like... And At the same time, too, I mean, it's... They don't have a very good supporting cast, either.
1: No, yeah, he, the husband's very wooden.
0: The mom seems okay. Yeah. The mom... The mom is... I f- she's in Jaws 2. <laughs> don't ask me why I know that. I just know that for some reason. Um, But what was taken what i was taken by was the fact that like when the pilot begins Lucy's not there right away you got to kind of build up the anticipation of Lucy showing up right cuz that way she gets this you're not going to care about Ted and Margo right yeah exactly and they they are pretty much just there to be people for her to talk to um yeah, and to get exasperated by all her wackiness. Yeah, she does not have a... The thing is, she doesn't have a very strong supporting cast with her. And no. Again, had she done something like the Golden... I mean... She should have been on the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls... Yeah, and maybe. Um, the thing about the Golden Girls, what I've seen of it, um, is that... Even though it's a show about like getting older, right
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's a there's sort of an underlying message to that show where that even though you get older it it doesn't mean that everything is over, right right you know everything that you love in life, everything everything is still there you know ultimately what people want as they get older is they just want companionship and that's kind of what that show really is, right? Yeah. Lucy had Lucy done a show like that, I mean so
1: Yeah, she didn't she they didn't change the tone They didn't change
0: the tone, right? Like so there is a so after Lucy's last show before this one ended, um, here's Lucy, um, ended in nineteen seventy four. So there was a so she was not starring in a regular series for about twelve years. Um and also think of it think of this too for a second. I Love Lucy began in 1951,
1: right? That early, really.
0: Between 1951 and 1974, Lucy was on the air. Was on the air weekly. I, I, there was probably I think between like I Love Lucy and then the Lucy show there's probably I think there's maybe like a year or two something like that, but right. by and large, Lucy was on the air for 23 years, practically uninterrupted. Right? Like imagine that for a second, right? Right. So, so I'm sure that also the
1: network and she both thought,
0: oh, people are just dying for more Lucy. So when Here's Lucy Goes Off the Air. Um, so that goes off the air in 1974, right? And the way the show ended was. It, there's, there's like a slight matter of dispute in how that show, the end of that show, came to be. Um, Lucy claims that she was done doing weekly um a weekly series Mm others others say the ratings were just dropping and cbs canceled her i tend to think it's the latter because at the time this is 19 this is early 70s i was telling you about this um for listeners who don't know before we were recording cbs at the time was in the process of reinventing its image and canceling all of its older guard programming like my three sons and you know um my
1: Three Sons
0: was still on. My Three Sons was ended in like seventy two or seventy three, I believe. No
1: huh. oh, um, idea.
0: But like all of these shows from the sixties that were still on the network, and just you know, Green Acres, The Beverly Hillbillies, like they just were going on, hee haw. They were just going on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and so. And Lucy was obviously one of those shows, right? That had been on for so long, yeah. and because she never changed what she did from show to show. Because think about it, like even the, think 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 about this for a second. You have nine, so ni- end of the nineteen seventy four season. So nineteen seventy three, seventy four. At that time, on CBS, you have Mary Tyler Moore, All in the Family, MASH, The Carol Burnett Show, the Je- um, not the Jeffersons yet, Maud, um, all of these. The Norman like the Norman Lear shows, the the you know, the all in the you know, that era of TV. And, Different so, and Lucy, for as good as she was, doesn't quite fit that new profile that CBS has, right? Okay. So where I'm going with this was so after that show ended, she had done a couple of specials. I think she had made a few appearances on the Cal Burnett Show, and then she did this special I saw it was called Lucy Calls the President. It was like an hour-long sitcom special. And it was her Vivian Vance who played Ethel from I love Lucy was in it with her um, Mary Jane Croft who was an often um, act guest star on I love Lucy and then um, oh, one other woman, who I can't forget I forget her name but the point is there was four of them and they had they shared scenes together and they were like um, you know they were getting older and I remember seeing a clip of that and I remember saying to myself like... She could have done a Golden Girls type show with these people, with these actresses. Mm, yeah, you know, like the people Are who worked
1: with her. The the so they tried to get um, the woman from Mary Wicks was the other I one. Know, I was, thinking of. What was her name? Go ahead. From the Honeymooners,
0: they tried to get her onto this show to be yes. So uh, they did. So they used. they brought her on, and it kind of changed the premise of the show a little bit, and. I think that so you would have probably had a little bit more of a Lucy and Ethel type of thing but I don't think you would have I don't think the show would have gone the show may have gone like less down the path of trying to be like a senior citizen version of I love Lucy right Mm. and it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out I think that I think that was sort of heading in that kind of Golden Girls type of um, premise. Yeah, because here's, here's
1: one thing I noticed that definitely po- points out why it's, it didn't work. So uh, the theme song was done by Edie Gourmet. Yep. And well so. like this is the vision of old age or aging that they were trying to show. Here are the lines. Every day is better than before. Yeah. How you feel depends on who you are. Who you are depends on what you do. I don't know what the second
0: part means, but every day is better than before. <laughs> I mean... I mean a That's, lot of sitcom lyric songs, <laughs> songs, don't make any sense. They just try to make up something to but, it and rhyme. You know, but yeah, because yeah, yeah. like, it's all about like it's
1: a new world and I'm out for new adventures and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that was yeah. not the Golden Girls vibe it was not right. someone like
0: going well, As I said, America. you know, the Golden Girls vibe was more about no matter how old you get, you know, everything used to, every. It's all still in front of you, you know. Yeah, you still have your
1: friends and family
0: and they're important exactly your relationships. exactly so and that's something that this show doesn't quite do because that's not what it was trying to do it was trying to be it was trying to let the world know like here comes Lucy the same old Lucy it's the same old Lucy as you've always remembered and, I, and you know and it may have what may have factored into that was maybe you know we can say this now but Maybe people didn't want to see a different Lucy. Like, you see Lucy, you want to see the Lucy that you've always known. Right?
1: Yeah, but then when you see that she's not really funny anymore, that probably makes it tough.
0: Oh, well, right. But the, yeah, I think initially, like, when you see a show like that, I mean, think of like, you have the Bob Newhart show, then you have Newhart. Like, even though they're two totally separate, different shows, Bob is still playing the same type of person. Right. You know, and I think he did a show later on. He did a show later on just called Bob, and he actually played played it kind of differently, and it didn't really work. Um, but I do wonder, like, would, would that have worked for Lucy, right? Like, if she had attempted another show just so different than what she had done in the past, would it have worked? Because, you know... To your point, you said the writers of M.A.S.H. were coming on. You know, she turned them down. That would like, have been a very different show. What kind of that, Imagine what that would have been like.
1: Right, because M.A.S.H. was, you know, single camera, not like that studio audience kind of vibe like this one had. Right.
0: Well, the thing is... Definitely more sophisticated humor. I think, and I think, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a you know, Lucy biographer here, but um, when you think of I Love Lucy, when you think of The Lucy Show... I don't know about who you think of the gags, you think of the physical antics that she got herself into. The shows are not really known for their witty dialogue, right? No. They're known for two things. They're known for like her shoving chocolate in her face and her going
1: Wah! Yeah,
0: they're known for these sort of physical bits. And mm-hmm. um like I couldn't really when I think of... I mean, and I, I've always enjoyed I, I Love Lucy. I mean... But I I can't think of any particular moment where there was like a... I can't think of a very mem- a memorable, well-written line. Which isn't to say the show's not well-written. It's more about yeah. the sight gags. It's more about the, the physical right. comedy of the whole thing.
1: Yes, or right. even her facial
0: expressions sometimes. You know, to your point, the shoving the chocolate in her mouth, the stomping on the grapes. Like, it's what mm-hmm. she's known for. And... I, I'm sure in her mind, she's just thinking, "I just got to do what I've done in the past."
1: Yes, yeah. and, and uh, so right, and I almost feel bad because I watched, unfortunately, a little bit of the documentary that I sent you, hmm. and how she was just kind of devastated when the show failed. And yeah, she was at the end of her life. So I kind of feel bad. You know, wonderful respect for her for a lot of things. Well, I love Lucy, and the fact that there would be no Star Trek without her.
0: <laughs> but at the same time, like it's it's also this sort of um, idea that she's past her prime. And I mean, think of, she's definitely a, you know, she's, there's no question. She is a groundbreaking comedian who paved the way for a lot of others to come after her. Yeah. Um, you know, like Carol Burnett's an example or, you know, even Mary Tyler Moore and, you know, that sort of thing. So, she did a lot for women in comedy, right? Um But the 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 problem I think was that she just didn't she didn't get out when she was still on top.
1: Yeah. Here here's a, here's an
0: interesting thing though to note that I just looked up quickly.
1: Yeah. Betty White is only eleven years younger than I love Lucy. Born eleven years after.
0: Than Lucy Leball, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, here's the thing about Betty White. Betty White was still able to be on shows like Community and be hilarious because I think she knew kind of like, here's what I got to do. I'm old, so I'm going to
0: play that up, and I'm not going to try to lead a show. I. Well, that's the thing. Betty White, I mean, she's a legend, of course, right? A living legend. Um, but she was never – she was not – and maybe I'm wrong about this, you know, but she was never really a leading – a leading lady. She was always a supporting, you know, she was a supporting character on the Mary Tyler Moore show I mean, she, for a little while after that she got her own show which did not succeed. She was a supporting player on the Golden Girls She was a supporting player on Hot in Cleveland. Um, and I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting She would be, she would guest star on things you know, she, but the thing is Betty White had a presence just outside of the roles that she played Yeah. You know And I'm sure Lucy did did as well. The
1: Betty White show in 1977. Yeah. Only last one season,
0: though. Right.
1: But what I'm saying is that Lucille could have probably had a successful career. Yeah. If she had changed gears a little bit. Yeah, like, a lot of the. To give up, like, being the creator and the star and the, you know, all that.
0: Right, exactly. Like, if she had... I mean... She would never be a supporting character, right? Like, had she been on the Golden Girls, she would have probably died. she would have probably had top billing. She probably would have had. My guess is she probably would have had like the role that B. Arthur had.
1: It would have been a bad show, though,
0: because here's a good, her pride was too big. Oh, agreed. I, I but I do wonder how that show would have been if she was like. My question is like, would she have been able to make that sort of transition? Like, could she have been able to do that? Yeah.
1: I guess not because we know how her pride was, but, but yeah, I mean, probably not. Which I guess we saw because if, if not, the Life of Lucy maybe could have been okay if she had followed more like what the producers wanted. And, right.
0: You know. And, and it's, it's a shame don't too don't because, control. to your point, you know, she was devastated by the cancellation. She had never really been canceled before. I mean, the here's Lucy thing, maybe. I mean, that's still something disputed, I guess, but, um, You know, when the show was cancelled, reportedly, she was devastated. And she realized, like, it was... She kind of felt like maybe America doesn't really love me anymore. Um, Yeah. But... They still love you, just the stuff you did a long time ago. But, I, you know, and I, I... I don't know what it's like to be famous. I do wonder, though, like... You know, this is 1986. I Love Lucy is 35 years old at this point. It's already... Permeated and permeated pop culture, and it's like it's a permanent fixture in pop culture now. And like by that point, you know the reruns are on constantly. Everybody knows it. You know, does she have? I mean, she must have some kind of a sense of to how popular she is, right? Yeah. And so, how loved she is, right? The
1: perennial person that influenced everyone, you know. Yes, you inspired me. It probably gets tired. It probably gets boring inspiring people. You want to do for
0: yourself but i think also it has a lot to do with um you know by all accounts lucy was somebody who liked working she didn't she wasn't happy she was always happy just working and she probably just wanted to you know go back to work in a way you know yeah and um but It's also kind of, when you think about shows that came after, like I said, the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, Rhoda, for example, the Carol Burnett show, in the 70s, they're sort of these good examples, in my opinion, of the, of sort of like, they're the sort of successors. They're building, they're standing on the shoulders of Lucille Ball, in a sense, right? And (laughs) um, they're kind of the next generation of, you know, of Lucille, of, of, uh, like, in other words, like. Would they have been allowed? Would they have been able to get on the air had it not been for? Like, does Lucy pave the way for those shows to come along? Right. Oh, definitely. You know, and and um, that's what needs to
1: be respected and admired. You know, even right. the fact that when she first brought the show to the networks, they they didn't want to have um, Ricky Ricardo because they said, "Oh, no, people aren't going to buy like a white woman married to a Cuban man." So we got to yes. change that. She yes. says, "No, go hike," um, and she got it made on her own terms. Which is great, but I think the problem is that when you brought when they brought it, the same formula yep. into the movies, it sort of exposed the worst parts of that formula.
0: Oh, definitely, Absolutely.
1: and it, and, what, and you know, it, a lot of it was that um, the extended laugh tracks. Mm-hmm. The huge applause when when you, the viewer, are just thinking, "There's no way that there's anyone that's actually reacting to this in that way."
0: Well, with her when she enters, when Gail Gordon makes an entrance, like whenever somebody makes an appearance, right, it gets this, you know, applause. Yes.
1: Um, now here's a question: When she was, so the, there were a lot of things that got huge applause that were not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I got
0: She impersonates spider mites. I believe it was a live audience, by the way, but anyway. Yeah, but they were feeding them something. <laughs> well, you can you can add it in post, I
1: guess, but anyway, go ahead. The spider mites. She impersonates spider mites. Yes.
0: Oh, that gets applause, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it gets applause. <laughs> oh, she's doing a thing. Look. Um, Grandma Heaven. She's using Grandma Heaven. Yeah. Applause. Laughter. Where's the tuna? She's hunting around for tuna. Now, here's the thing: when she hunts around for tuna, she finds it, and she stands on one foot for a second, and they go crazy. Why? Is that something? Is that a reference we should have gotten? That I don't know. Because okay, for the tuna, she's trying to figure which box the tuna casserole's in. She finds it. She stands on one foot for a second, and then everybody goes crazy. Interesting. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, just the the laugh track and the uproarious applause. They the, made it worse. They actually made it worse. If there were no laugh track, at least I could have rolled with it. Right. Well,
0: <laughs> the thing that you said about the show earlier that I really thought was funny was when you were talking about Gail Gordon, how it seemed like he's on the verge of a heart attack or a stroke with everything she does. Yeah, and at so the just end,
1: I in a in a pasta maker which actually was one of the parts that was not that terrible um, but still <laughs> that's an old gag right? Like, that's a... is yeah. she's pulling him into it and he's just going go go But go. You know it is, it's, it's, it's one of those after, things but his face turns red he makes a weird expression and he just holds it
0: but this... <laughs> as if he's having a stroke and everybody cheers the thing about it though I remember watching it I thought to myself why is there a pasta maker sitting there other than for this gag like why is that there <laughs>
1: Right. Well, I guess There's the no premise was for that to be was, okay. he was going. She was like, "Oh, you need new products," so I started selling pasta makers. Yeah. Really hip. Oh, yeah. Because you got to set up the gag first. You got
0: to. So you got to yeah. give we, a reason we why. We all so know that. she's super hip. Right. With it. Right. Everybody else is square except Lucy. But I love that you said he moves in out of spite.
1: <laughs> yes. Right. So this is what I didn't get. Like, first off, I don't understand why he's so angry that she moved in. Yeah. But then you don't get any setup for that. He's right. just he's just like super pissed that
0: she moved in. Well the thing is <laughs> like you know with Lucy you need that per you need that foil, right? But at the same time, she's co owner of this hardware store, so like she's gonna yeah. see him every day anyway. Like does he do you put yeah. him in the house because you get just maybe two or three more jokes with him?
1: Yeah, they could have done family stuff at the house, and then foil
0: right. stuff at the hardware store. <laughs> right, yeah, like you could have done the Frasier thing, where like you know half of the show was him at home, and then the other half was him at the radio station. Yeah. What goes on down yeah. there, right? You notice this other
1: weird thing? They never said what what was up with their husband.
0: Yeah, yeah, they never I don't said think we ever If he was
1: dead, because they said while well, you were gone, he had the flu, and so I took over. So where in the hell is he? If he only had the flu?
0: He's battling coronavirus. I said, oh, they never he's battling they never, he's battling covid and they never uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah um yeah and to give a to give a sense so you know and you know for future episodes i'm going to try to do this every every time i can to give a sense of what else was on the network at the time and you know this is mid 80s this is smack in the middle of mid 80 so this is you know, ABC. This is who's the boss. Growing Pains. Perfect Strangers. Yeah. Moonlighting. Wait, one um, question. Every class. Down. Yep. MacGyver.
1: There was a trend in the '80s of trying to revive these '50s institutions was television. Shows. There was. Now, was this before or after they tried
0: to bring back things like Leave It to Beaver? This was and, around the same time. I think. I think Leave It to Beaver. A lot of these. A lot of these revivals began as like. Movie specials on a network, right? Okay. So they do like a Leave It to Beaver reunion movie or something like that. And then, oh, it's a big hit. Let's bring it back as a weekly series, right? So, one by one, they failed. Yeah. So, you know, this is, you know, one we'll probably cover in the future is, you know, a few years earlier, they do the new, the new Odd Couple, right? They do, mm-hmm. um, Oh god, to re- Mr. Ed. Uh, Mr. They they resurrect. You know, the season before that, CBS resurrects the Twilight Zone. Um, well, that that's in a different ballpark. But even but it's the idea of reviving something like yeah. But the, being well, an anthology, show, the next the next season they revive Star Trek, right? So there was this The monsters. <laughs> well, the thing is, there was yeah. I mean, this was. But I think the difference is. What what you're talking about is, this is not a revival of I Love Lucy. This is just a revival of the main actress from I Love Lucy, but it's not. These these are shows in a similar style, like the ones I mentioned. Like these are like legit shows being brought back. Leave It to Beaver was. Hey, what's the Beaver? The new Leave It to Beaver, and then the new Odd Couple, and then which I never, which by the way, side note, I never really understood why they would put that in the titles because eventually it's not new anymore.
1: Yeah, you know. that's why they should have just called
0: it the Uncoupled: The Next Generation. Which, you know, in all honesty, Star Trek: The Next Generation at the time was like that's a really bad title. Uh, <laughs> I I know, some mistakenly terrible. called it Star Trek: The New Generation. And I used to drive me crazy when people would call it that. But it's. Um, good. But yeah, no, there was this trend at the time of like attempting to attempting to do that, and um, I, I think with Lucy, it was more about the idea of. Bringing back an established comedian, you know, and building a show around that, you know, like they did with Cosby, and then you know all these... using a name, a well-known Seinfeld. name, huh? Seinfeld. Seinfeld eventually, Roseanne, you know. So, um, I- yeah, I think I think that sh- I think Lucille Ball was sort of inspired by the success by the success of both the Cosby Show and the Golden Girls, and wanted to kind of. Um, do this again
1: yeah you know it's really funny to think of the Cosby show in those terms just because it has become so much more than Bill Cosby and like such an institution
0: right well and especially with what has happened well, yeah. with Bill Cosby in recent years unfortunately but... we're gonna have
1: to talk about Bill Cosby as if that didn't happen only because we're well, talking about things that happened long before and long maybe before, yes.
0: before. I mean it's yeah it's tainted a little bit it's definitely of television, it's too important to television history to ignore it Well, because what people may not realize, you know, well, not they may not realize. I mean, that was a huge hit show at the time, and it was the number one show on TV for five years in a row. And so you had all of these other networks, you had ABC and CBS trying to compete against it.
1: And it was funny.
0: And, you know, Lucille Ball is an example. Life with Lucy is, in my opinion, an example of that, of trying to ride on the Coattails of the Cosby Show and trying to make,
1: yeah, it's a... so strange though because Bill Cosby was known mostly as a stand-up. I mean, he was in I Spy, right? Um, but you know, he wasn't. I don't know. It seems like well, the thing about it was
0: that I was like a different side of his talent. Well, the thing about it was like the 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 Cosby Show was put together. I think he originally wanted to do like a one-hour like drama type of show but the producers and i think even the network were encouraging him to build a show around his stand-up routine when he would yeah. be telling like bill cosby himself is the precursor to the cosby show right cuz he always would tell funny family stories right and like and the thing is when you listen to him on that album now talking about his family you're envisioning the hucksters yeah. right good point so yeah.
1: well he got his wish with the cosby mysteries later he did all. i think
0: but i think life with lucy was a very misguided attempt at trying to duplicate that success and i think it was unfortunate because by all accounts as we were alluding to earlier lucy was very devastated by um the cancellation of it and um she kind of i think she kind of faded from she kind of disappeared from the public eye for you know after that and she she passed away like 3 years later yeah you know? Yeah. Um but and it's and in retrospect it's a really kind of sad ending to an otherwise like legendary television career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, 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 what's the what's the word? Um what's the thing that you go what would you rather um it's better to burn out than fade away?
0: Yeah, I mean, think of all of these shows that you know it's, it's the idea of getting out while you're still on top. Like, you know, Seinfeld goes off the air when it's the number one show on TV. And yeah. even though it was on for eight seasons, like. Yeah. Just like George says, you're going to leave him wanting more. Well, exactly. And you don't want to. And, and, you know, and that's difficult to find that sort of sweet spot. But, like, yeah. you know, if Seinfeld had gone on for one more season in their minds, they feel like, oh, it would just be more of the same, or they, you know, like, yeah, we yeah, could probably uh, do one more, but we can't surprise, you know, but I think the idea was they were saying, like, we can't surprise the audience anymore. But, but clearly they could, because when you look
1: at Arrested, um, not Arrested Development, Curb um, uh, Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, there were other places they could have gone. Right. But,
0: um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. The Simpsons, I'm glad they're still on. The Simpsons? I'm glad it's still on, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like at this point, it's almost like comfort food. You're just used to it being there. Yes, yeah, you know, the it's been like there a, almost like a, my entire life. It's like as... I, I heard David Letterman once refer to Johnny Carson as, uh, after he passed away, he's like, Johnny Carson was like a public utility. <laughs> Everyone was just yeah. so used to him being there that when he, you know, goes away, it's like, well, what the hell do we do? You just, just... You got so used to the idea of Johnny Carson being there for 30 years, and I think you know, maybe Lucy was kind of a similar case, but, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, even I watched the last episode of Johnny Carson. I stayed up to watch it on my tiny four-inch black-and-white TV because I felt like it was important, even though I was only a little kid. I,
0: just, I thought, I need to see this for some reason. I don't know why. So, I think, I think in retrospect, like, well, since Life with Lucy has now is now 34 years removed from, 33 and a half, really, Years of removed from television, like, you know, does it play better now? Are we able to look at it with a sort of more um, critical eye? I, I still, you know, I would, I, I would recommend it if you're curious and want to see a train wreck.
1: Yeah, is it a good
0: show? It, does it hold? No, it's horrible. I don't think it's good at all. It's horrible. Every. Yeah.
1: Everyone that's acting is is just like it sounds like they're reading their lines at like a acting class at a community college. Right. It, 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 it's so bad. I mean, was so bad. Actually, I was very excited to kind of rip on it, and trash on it. But then when I watched how sad she was about it, I felt very guilty.
0: But it is total total garbage. Well, you make your own bed, man. You know. It's total garbage. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it it has gone on to become a notorious for um, and ranked by TV Guide as one of the worst TV shows of all time. Which is funny, uh, because, which makes me laugh, because, you know, Lucille Ball holds two honors. she, one of the greatest shows of all time, yeah. and also yeah. one of the worst shows of all time.
1: I have a feeling, though, it's probably not really one of the worst. It's just that because she's in it, it's a yeah. bad show that has gotten continued attention. Right. There's a lot of
0: probably more shows that just are so forgotten. No one considers them. It's also one of those shows that when you... And, you know, I think maybe On the Air is the same thing. Like, it's more about the time it came on, right? Like, everything I was telling you about, it's a response to the Cosby show, the Golden Girls. Like, that's something you know then. People just discovering the show now would not know that.
1: Right, right. But at the Where, time, yeah, when we look at on the air, it's almost like it right. was a show without any contemporaries.
0: Correct, so like and so when you have a show like this that's clearly wanting to build on the same success as the Golden Girls and the Cosby Show, which are both on the air at the time, you can sort of hold that against it and rip on it yeah. for that reason. But, it's just, but now, over, even if it
1: was made in the seventies, it would have been bad. If it was made in the sixties, it would have been bad. If it in the fifties, it would have been.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, because it, it had a very nineteen fifties, very sixties thing about it, the way it was written. So you know, maybe if it had been done twenty years earlier, who knows? But, um, I think what ultimately should have happened was it just should have been Lucille Ball embracing the fact that she's older and trying to do something, uh, Golden Girls like. Yeah. But yeah. would she be I able to deliver on that? I, I think don't know.
1: She watched it people don't watch it because it's sad
0: it's more sad than anything you can watch you can laugh at how bad it is but it's yeah. sad it's watch it if you i mean i say, again i say watch it if you're curious but i'm not going to say watch it because it's good because it is not
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i have an interesting
1: thought i think about both shows okay so wrap up i feel like you have i feel like tonight we talked about a success and a failure Mm-hmm. Personally, even though neither were successful ratings-wise or money-wise. Yep. You know, like one was successful artistically and one was not. And one tried to take the formula of the old and put it into the context of the new. Yep. And the other tried to take the context of the old but fit like the modern sensibility of the modern time into the old context and i think that made it hilarious Mm. so it's kind of the difference of are you taking the sensibility and the humor of the past and placing it into the present or are you taking the past and placing the humor and sensibility of the present well i also
0: think that your show on the air like it the two things i can say about it with this in mind is that it wasn't a show that was trying to be like something else on the air. It wasn't a. Res- it wasn't like it wasn't made as a response to some to a success somewhere else, right? Right. But it was also a show that clearly didn't take itself too seriously. Well, yeah, probably not. You know, Although David it, Lynch is a very
1: odd man, and often when he explains things, they, but like he seems
0: to think everything he does is very very profound. It kind of. To me, it just kind of embraces the absurdity and treats it seriously. You know, Lucille, Life with Lucy tries to recapture lightning in a bottle and does not succeed at all. It tries to recapture that sensibility of the old days of I Love Lucy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't succeed at all.
1: It's almost as though... Um... And again, was created as a response to Buddy Budwaller, where she was there kind of saying like, this has to be successful, this has to succeed, you know, like a lot of pressure on it. Right. Whereas it does feel like on the air was a lot looser, like, let's do some crazy stuff and it'll be fun.
0: Right. And also, you know, to give a little bit more perspective before I wrap this up, I mean, you know, going back to the Cosby show for a second here, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but when the Cosby show came on, NBC was the third, this is when we had three networks. NBC was the third rated network on TV, I think, but it's, but it was getting better. It had just come off, if you can believe this, a dis- disastrous season. So, The Cosby Show begins in the fall of 1984. The season before that, the 83-84 season, mm-hmm. every single show that debuted on NBC that fall was cancelled. Every single new show that debuted was cancelled. That's yep. remarkable. The only two shows that survived came on mid-season, and they were, it was a show called Riptide, and the other show was called Night Court. Well, Night Court we all remember, I'm sure. Riptide went on a couple seasons, I believe. But So the next season, NBC is still the third-rated network. Cosby comes along, without much fanfare, and what they do is they strategize by taking all the shows that they consider the, to be the best that the network has to offer, and they just put them all on one night. And it just takes off. And by the end of that season... What was on with Cosby? Well, this was the beginning. This was Family Ties at 8.30, Cheers at 9 o'clock, Night Court at 9.30, and then Hill Street Blues at 10.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So kind of the earliest version of must-see TV, right? And um with that brings huge success. And so the next season, you have the debut of The Golden Girls and 227 and... um couple of other shows, but like, you, the first two I mentioned are two, uh, two, two other hits, and so then by the end of that season, or midway through, NBC now becomes the, the number one rated network on TV. So now you have all these other networks, now you have the other two networks scrambling to find something to compete against these tentpole Cosby and the, sorry, tentpole the Cosby and the Golden Girls, and so Lucille, Life with Lucy is sort of an attempt at trying to do that, but Cosby is responsible for sort of revitalizing In reversing the fortunes of NBC and kind of revitalizing the sitcom the sitcom genre, which was considered to be dead at that point. Mm. And I think and when Lucy Show is, you know, maybe it should have
1: stayed dead.
0: Well, and when Life with Lucy comes on, you know, ABC is, I think, rated third. And so I'm sure ABC was like desperate to find somebody to kind of turn everything around. Yeah. So she kind of in a way had this impossible task ahead of her, which, you know. You're relying on a seventy you know, I don't know how old she a 74, 75-year-old person to turn around your entire network. Yeah. That's a a bit of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So. But did not succeed, obviously. No. Yeah. Um, So to wrap this up, uh, we, between On the Air and and Life with Lucy, I would say... Life with Lucy, skip. And you would say with On the Air?
1: I would say watch it and enjoy it. Life with Lucy, watch it, but be prepared to either laugh at how bad it is or to feel sad. Have a drink. Have a few drinks when you watch Life with Lucy. <laughs> you know what? Here's what you do. You chug every laugh uh, track, and you chug from the whole laugh until it's over, you'd be
0: in trouble. Cool. Well, uh... Cool. So this was a good experience, I think. This was a good...
1: Hopefully it was good for y'all listening to
0: Radio Land. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, we will see... Oh, God. We will... Because, uh, you know, Wilma was inspired by... He's holding story. up a drawing of Wilma Flintstone that he uh, <laughs> drew in front of um, uh So, yeah, I think, you know, maybe we'll uh, continue with doing... More of this. Um, yes. Don't know what our cadence on this will be just yet, but you know. I think we'll... but we have di- we have two or know, three a day. We have we have di- we have different ideas for this, different topics to do. I mean, we've you know we had to. We were, I think we were being very selective about what we wanted to do today because we had so many ideas. So. No. but that's a good
1: thing. Is I think that I think we can probably crank these out. Yeah. <laughs> when there's no Star Trek on the air.
0: <laughs> right, which is now yeah well we have still one more to do though that's true but yeah there's no new episodes of Star Trek coming no Uh, so at least we don't know when Discovery's back if
1: you discovered us because you're a huge Life with Lucy fan we're sorry and if you discovered us because we forced you by putting it in our Star Trek feed
0: thank you for enduring the ride and we hope you enjoyed hope you enjoyed so cool well we'll be back uh, at some point Thank you.